for your treasures fills your heart. Name your Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So today is Forgiveness Sunday in the Byzantine Church. And of course, the great fast, uh, sorry, tomorrow is we call Clean Monday. And also tomorrow, we anoint those who wish to be anointed like an athlete to prepare for and keep a good fast. I went over the regulations with you last week, but we have some room in Catholic church, so you have to fast Wednesday. We start starting on Monday, and you may not eat in our church meat or dairy products on Monday. Uh, Wednesday and Friday also are strict fast days in the Byzantine church. The monastic fast, we eat vegetables now until Easter. And um, then we have an island in the fast on Saturday and Sunday. Now I want to talk to you about how God loves you. The way the scripture put it, he loves you so much that God the Father sent his only son to die for you. And by that blood and suffering, you are made a new person. Especially when you're baptized, chrismated, receive the Eucharist. Now, all of life for a Christian should be a ascetical life. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Give up everything and follow me. And he also said to the rich young man, everything about the commandments, and of course that would include the Beatitudes. And the rich young man couldn't give everything up, so he went away sad. Now, my question for you today is, are you sad because it's a Lent? A great Lent. For us, I've always been cheerful and happy to see Lent come. I always find it was probably the um, most wonderful time of the year. And why did I think that? Well, remember one, Lent and Trodion, we pray for from the Trodion during Lent, which means three tones, and everything's organized better than the other books we use the rest of the year. So that's sort of a happy thing. And of course, uh, we fast, and I, I like fasting since I've been under here in the Northwest, uh, up here on the mountain. I've lost 22 pounds. I didn't say it's from fasting, did I? No. I just don't eat. I just don't eat sugar, carbohydrates, things like that. The last time I went to the doctor, he asked me, "How'd you do this?" I says, "I read a book, but that wasn't the truth. I didn't want to tell him why I did it, because then he'd chastise all his patients or something. You know, that wouldn't be good." And uh, so it's natural. It's natural, really. Fast, but in America we have a tendency to eat too much food, and we throw away one third of our food anyway, which is really a problem. We should not waste food. Say, find some way to 
make something else out of it, or if you have you know, you have a little farm or something, feed the animals or something. But don't waste food. The grave sin. Now God loves you, and I told you why. And how do you respond to His love? So I've been a priest for 40, 53 years, and I've been a monk for about eight or nine years now. I took the had the first three vows, and then I took stability to the monastery, and then I was a monk. And uh, I've been praying a long time. And I'm sort of serious about prayer. Or, it's, or the monks here are serious about prayer. And I know if they're doing well or not just by the way they talk and they act. I think I don't have to examine them if they're doing their spiritual reading or this or that, because I know. And I, if they're not at the hours on time each day, I sort of get upset. Sometimes I pop off a little. Now today I have to give ask everybody to forgive me for my impatience, for my tendency to get things done. And for maybe bring a scandal to you occasionally. And uh, I apologize for all those things. I don't have anything very exciting to apologize about. But I do apologize for those things. And sometimes I make people cry. But that's good for them. And uh, all the awareness of who you are and what you are and how you're doing it's your conversation with God. And that should be your daily, we don't meditate here, we ponder. I don't like meditation for the monks because it's too structured. I like them to get to be very quiet so they can hear the voice of God. If you're too noisy, you don't fast. You don't live a disciplined life. You're not going to hear the voice of God. And he loves you. In every at different stages of life, you hear the voice of God in different ways. But always in your heart. That's where you hear it. It's like when you fall in love, when you're young, you fall in love, you want to get married. You suffer with your heart. You know, we always the fathers say, pair and marry in fast and then repent at your leisure. Well, that may be a, a um, okay for marriage, but it's not okay for a spiritual life. You have to be a, live a life of repentance. So this is your chance, these 40 days to repent and live in your heart. So 1 Corinthians or 2nd says that we're not praying, the Holy Spirit prays in us. I think that's a consolation to know that. And that was given to you when you were chrismated or confirmed. The presence of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes when you're praying, uh, you can ask the Holy Spirit to pray with him. 
recently in a priest retreat, Father Petrus gave the retreat, and he said of a very serious man. And uh, some days you don't know whether to talk to him or not. He's a very serious man. And in one of the conferences, he said to us, he asked us, when you're alone with God, what does he say to you? Priests are very quiet. He says that's, and what do you say to God? God always says to you, my son died on the cross for you because of my love for you. No father wants to lose his son. It's terrible. It's terrible to lose any child. Is that the fruit of his life and his blood? And I don't understand at all our society and that evil Congress we have. It condones destruction of children. It's not normal. My grandfather, Stanichar, came to this country. They had about seven children. They lost about two or three in the process. They never talked about that. They were happy they had the four. There's never any discussion about that in the house because Children are the fruit of a woman and man and God's love. And if you have children, you're making God happy and you're making yourself beloved by God. And God loves you. So when you talk to God, probably every day, quietly, sitting on your chair or where your places you pray, listen for his voice. And the scripture says, if you hear the Lord, harden not your hearts. And don't doubt that God does speak to you. He may not say what you want him to say. And you may be upset or something, or you might get the message, but you just doubt it. Or you can't hold on to it. We had two priests here for a retreat this week. Very fine gentlemen. Enjoyed them a lot. And they were very much interested in the hearing the voice of God. They were, well, how, you know, how are you preparing and that, da, 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 da. I said, well, in the Eastern Church, we're hesitant. We spent a lot of time in silence. And then we try you, and then you, when you sit with and alone with God, as it says, alone with the alone, he tells you things. Does he write it out? No. That's for the scholars in the Bible. He gave us his word for it. But he wants to write a word on your heart. He wants to mark you with his love. 
That means that Lent should be a serious time that you really, again, investigate your internal life. Unfortunately, our society, people are too busy and too noisy. And everybody's supposed to be having a party. No, life is not a party. It's a sacred trust given to you so that you can get to heaven. I think about the changes in the approach of the church in the last, well, I'd say since 1950. In the vocational literature used to be everybody went to, had a vocation, they went to serve God. Then it's time to change it. When you, when you have a vocation, uh, you have to uh, serve your fellow man. Well, that's not bad, but vocation is from God and you must serve him first. If you serve God first, you will know how to serve your neighbor. He will keep you as on the way, in the way, as the Christians, the early churches say, the followers of the way. Now, if you have uh, fallen away from the way, it's time to get back on track. It's time to sit down and See how much time you actually give to God each day. So God is a jealous lover. He wants all of you. That's why many people become monks and religious and priests and bishops, people like that. And then as a service to the whole church. It's a wonderful place to be with God if you're keeping the rules. So I always tell the priests when I give them a conference, um, stay close to the holy table. Stay close to the altar. Stay close to our Lord in the sacraments and in the sacred gifts and the Holy Communion. Don't rush your liturgy. Take time. Prepare for liturgy and give thanks afterwards. Because dwells in you uh, incorporeally for about 15 minutes until you digest the communion. That's quite a bit of time. And yet people rush in and out of church and they don't spend quality time with God. So if God loves you and is doing all this for you, you must respond in one way by giving him quality time. It's important. Now, for the monks, our days, every day after day is the same. So we um, schedule all that for them. But they just take the opportunity to do it. There's time for them to do that. In a household, there's time. It must be time to do that, because the household, a married couple, is the ecclesiola, the little church. So all those virtues and duties you see in the church, you should have in your house, like the icons, like quiet, like reasonableness, 
like answering your children and yourself the difficulties with a prayerful consideration. Never give an answer in anger. I get discouraged once in a while. I do lose my patience sometimes. I try not to do that with the monks, but I do once in a while. I always apologize quickly as I can. Dear brothers and sisters, God loves you because when he looks upon you, he sees his son. You are part of the mystical body of Christ. Pius XII wrote a beautiful encyclical about that, Mystici Corpori, some years ago. Very wonderful piece of paper. Beautiful message. But if you're baptized, and you're chrismated through Holy Communion, whose life is in you? Remember the seminary, the out on the dish that we ate from? Vivere mihi Christus est, mermita livis Christ. Each and every one of you is to live as Christ. You're part of his very body. And you eat his body and drink his blood in a holy meal to further your relationship in becoming Christ. So recently I read a book about the hypostatic union. That's the union of the human nature and the divine nature in Christ in one personality. The book was much taken, but that we understand about that and that we don't become ignorant heretics. All around us, there are people who say they're Christian, but they're really, they're really not Christians because they're heretics. They don't really know the dogmas of the church. Even Catholics don't really know that sometimes. You ask them a question, or they give you an opinion, it's that sort of off, usually. But, and further in this book I've been reading, uh, it says that you too are part, you're part of the body of Christ. So what we, what Christ is by nature, we cannot be, but in the Bible it tells us that you will be partakers of the divine nature. Chapter 1, 2 Peter, I believe, or 1 Peter, first chapter, about verse 2. Now, the fathers taught us this about that. That God has two energies. Everything is energy, your energy. The lights are energy, everything energy. So most things are from the creative energy of God. At this one moment he decided he just didn't want you to be around. He just had to stop thinking about you and you'd be gone. Body and your ash and everything would be gone. The other energy God has in the Trinity is the divine energies. And they flow from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in a principle called circumcision, and it's their mutual love. And from their mutual love, they send out to us this grace of divine energy. So we become partakers of that 
in the sacraments, in our prayer life, especially in the liturgy. So it's true that we can say, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. And this energy is sent by the Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit comes with many, many gifts, thousands of gifts, actually. So that's the foundation of a very good mystical theology of you, what's who you are, and what the Holy Trinity is doing with you. But you must respond. You must sit and pray. You must read the holy books. Now, some of these books aren't worth reading. Uh, read the Fathers of the Church. Some, I, the other day I came across somebody, I forget now, where this priest said, and not this priest wrote this book, or an author, I'm not too sure he was a priest, and he said that uh, Satan was a uh, literary fiction. That's not true. He's very much around and trying to destroy us all, and especially the church. So you see the troubles in the church? Yeah, it's the work of Satan. Makes him happy the church is having trouble. And troubles, the church is always having trouble. But your prayer for the church and your neighbor is the greatest gift you can do. And when you, you know that God loves you, he proves it by his death, passion, death, and resurrection, by feeding you on his body and blood. So in John 6, it tells us, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life in you, the real life, divine participation in the life of the Trinity. So this is mystical theology. Not too often do people preach about it. Because you have to conquer it first. You have to understand it. And you have to start praying better yourself. But it transforms you. Now if you're not a theologian, you got to learn all the language. The theological language. And you got to uh, learn the roots of theology before you go into something that deep. So I bought some... I bought a, a, a book. I have a lot of books for the monks. And I was on, uh, was down on retreat with the priest. I had this big fat book with me. I paid a hundred bucks for the book. And the bishop was giving us the retreat. He said, where'd you get that book? I said, well, you know, I bought it. Uh, bookstore, Catholic bookstore. He says, well, you know, that's quite a uh, job to get through that book. Well, I have gotten through maybe two-thirds of it. I don't read it continuously because I have to take a rest. It's magnificent. It talks about the Trinity and the life of grace. But I'm saying to you today is you should experience that for yourself by your prayer life. You are not alone. We say in Slovanic's Nami book, God is with us. Why is he with us? To perfect us because the readings today in the office talked about Adam and Eve and they were they were created they said with 
good clothes or something, perfectly. When they fell, they thought they were naked. And God walked in the garden and said, who told you you were naked? And he knew that they'd fallen. Because all they ever saw in each other was innocence and grace. Up to that point. I won't go into the fact that it probably was special grace for the garden because Christ hadn't died and risen again. Risen from the dead. But that's another uh, sermon. This beauty that you were created in, you lost because you ate. So now, because you are fallen, because you have the life of God in you, you fast. And in that fasting, you find spiritual development, better perception of the grace, and better appreciation of liturgy. So this 40 days is our donation, like 10% of the year, of serious fasting. So I recommend to you, uh, don't just do the minimum. We don't fast. But a priest friend of mine, he decided he was going to fast on bread and water, and he gained weight. I said, well, that's like eating pure sugar. That'll kill you. Don't fast on bread and water. That's it. You fast on vegetables. And your children, they can do, they don't have to, they can, may not be able to fast much, but they can abstain, like on Wednesday and Friday and such, during Lent. I think the church is in big trouble for two reasons. The prayers have been short, not in our church, but in the bigger, our neighbor church. Their church, they have really short prayers now. The second thing is they minimalize their fasting. What are you asking for? Trouble. Being out of control. Filled with personal sin. You must pray and fast. Remember the apostolic teaching. This kind of devil can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Now what will happen is when the father looks at you, he will see his son, and he will love you all the more. So, this is the season, as Bishop Sheen used to say, to serve the tremendous lover. The tremendous lover is Christ. He died for you, and he sent forth these holy sacraments to help you grow in the life of grace. Because he wants you to achieve perfection. At least we can try to tend towards perfection. It's God's business how perfect we become. And we will not know that until we've fallen asleep in the Lord and figure out we wound up in heaven. What a miracle that will be. And in heaven, you really meet the people you love. And they will be gorgeous because they're shining with the light of Christ. It starts here, though. 
we must walk the way and become the pilgrims of promise, as they used to say in that old Protestant book, huh? We must become and live the promise. Not waiting for tomorrow or the next day. Not waiting till you're older. Not waiting to uh, have some grand uh, revelation. We have the grand revelation, Jesus Christ. But each day, you and the Holy Spirit praying together, doing the holy readings, read things that inspire you to prayer and talk to God about it. And sooner or later, you will be calm. You'll be calmed down and peace will be in you, the peace of Christ. So St. John Damascene, he was a minor uh, monk at Sinai, you know, where the, where the Ten Commandments uh, are, were, ta- were discovered by Moses from God. And uh, there's some pretty good films about Sinai uh, on your computer, and you can look them up. And uh, so St. John Damascene was in the monastery, but he was sort of a... a Noisy monk, well, this disturbed the peace of the other monks, so they disturbed their prayer life. So they sent him up the mountain. And up the mountain, even to this day, there's a little cave-like structure, and uh, that's where he lived. He lived there a long time, but he didn't have anybody to talk to except God. Tricky monks, huh? And so after a while, he wrote a beautiful spiritual book talking about perfection and they got down to the monastery and they read it and they went up and brought him down and said, now you're the abbot. So they had to cook the abbot in silence for many years And they had to determine, see what his heart was like by the books he wrote. What was the thoughts of his heart and mind? And they knew what his prayer was. So some years ago, I was a student at Michigan State University. I've told you this story before. And there was a young man there named Talbot Thibodeau. We were trying to discern our vocation, you know. That was a big deal years ago. You didn't decide for yourself. You wanted God to tell you what to do. And God will give you signs. Don't just tell God what you're going to do because he may change your mind. So we went down to Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is in a county where the air is almost pure bourbon. The smell of bourbon everywhere. They make all this bourbon in Kentucky. I went out for dinner one night. We were having a conference there. And uh, I, I said, I was trying to have a drink before dinner. And I, was, I asked for Maker's Mark. I thought that was pretty good bourbon. And the waiter says, Sir, we have 100 different kinds of bourbon in Kentucky. I says, Well, pick one for me. Give me a good one. But anyway, getting back to the story. So Hal, we went to this 
and it was a big Gethsemane is a big abbey. They have a big room. It's larger than this for conferences. And when people go there, they have a conference for them, you know, if they're visiting there. They get a lot of people there. So anyway, um, we went into the conference and we sat down. And there was a monk up front who was giving a talk. And he was dressed in his cowl. That's his white cowl. And uh, I didn't see anything extraordinary there. And uh, but Hal asked me when we came out from the car. He said, "Did you see that, Joe? What?" I said, "What was I supposed to see?" He says, "The monk turned to gold and white." I said to him, "Well, Hal, you go stay here." So he went back to college and he finished his degree and he was there until two years ago when the abbot wrote me a letter because I could only write to him occasionally and he would send me something once or twice a year because they had a calendar and he was in the calendar he'd put a circle around and I'd find that or whatever but they were not around to correspond too much and uh, he'd do that so so the abbot knew that we were corresponding together, you know, over the years, many years. And he wrote and told me that Father Howe had, uh, had fallen asleep in the Lord. So I wrote him back and thanked him, and I told him that story I told you. I said, you should be interested in the story of that monk. God is not a mystery. He reveals himself to us. God speaks words to us. God is our greatest, tremendous lover. He loves you more than you ever imagined you love yourself. And he's calling you to eternity of bliss. To make Lent like it was your last Lent and you were preparing for eternity. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.